Shit up. A twice-weekly podcast where we channel our obsessive personalities and our love of TV and movies and share the interesting trivia we find with you. This is Kevin Schwaller. This is Rachel Schwaller. And thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being here. In case you're new, uh, I guess we'll tell you a little bit, a little bit what we do. Kevin, what do we do here? Yeah, so we are looking for the inspiring, crazy, really just any sort of story that we really like. Stories that are behind our favorite movies and TV shows, and we're going to share them with you. What we're not doing, this isn't a review show. We're not going to go really deep into the plot. We're not going to break things down. But we might go into it enough to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, be careful there. Yeah. So today we might spoil for you if you haven't seen The Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, there will be spoilers. There will be. And so the good news about this, at least, is it is on Netflix. Yes. uh, Which is a a really important part of what we're talking about today. So here's some Netflix stuff. Oh, yeah. Here's some relevant shit about Netflix, a little trivia that uh, I thought would be interesting. Hit me with it. Netflix was founded in 1997. They began streaming content because, you know, they started with, like, they'll mail you a DVD. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And a few days later, you've got your favorite movie. Just slip it in that envelope and send it back. I know. What a crazy concept. They started streaming their own content in 2007, so 10 years later. Um, They started creating their own content in 2013. Well, that's even later than I would have thought it was. I know. It honestly feels like they've been doing it forever. I know. Well, they've got so many different shows out now. Yeah. Um, And as of January of 2018, Netflix has over 117 million paying subscribers worldwide. That's a lot of subscribers. It is a lot of subscribers. I I don't even remember how much it is now, but take that $7 or $12 a month or whatever it is. I think it's $10? Multiply it by that. Because it was $12, I think, when they... Do they even still do DVDs? I think they do, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't even know how to go about... I, I don't... I don't know. I think you stand outside and you call for a postal horseman. www.netflix.com. Call me. (laughs) Okay, so this week's topic, we were going to try and do this in one episode. Oh, yeah. But then we got so into it that we we just had so much information. We just have to break it up into two. So this week we're going to do The Cloverfield Paradox, and next week is a movie that Rachel's going to focus on. Yeah, next week we're going to do Bright, which is the Will Smith movie that's on Netflix. And so the theme between these two is that there is a wasp in here. Okay, welcome back. Yeah, I had to pause for just a second uh, with the wasp in here. Kevin had to go valiantly kill that wasp. All right, time for Cloverfield Paradox. Okay, so if it's been a while since you've seen Cloverfield Paradox, or if you don't really care to see it and you just want to know what it's about, here you go. Here's the synopsis. The movie starts making it clear that there is an energy crisis. The Cloverfield Station orbits Earth with something called the Shepard Particle Accelerator on it that is supposed to supply unlimited energy to Earth. Something happens and the Earth disappears. Let the madness ensue. Are the members of the crew who they say they are? Where are they? When are they even? And what's happening on Earth? Wherever, whenever, whatever it is. Uh Really just whoop. Something happens. Earth is no longer outside the windows. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And so the movie is them trying to work through this. But then you have different characters that come in. Uh, There's the one scene, if you remember, where they open paneling in a hallway and they find like a woman who is like materialized into the wires and the paneling and they get her out and all that stuff. I looked at it through my fingers. (laughs) And if you remember, she 
was part of the crew. Uh-huh. And but none of the crew knew her, but she knew everybody. So yeah. she was from alternate dimension or whatever. Yeah. Alternate parallel Earth. universe, Earth whatever you want to. So yeah, so now they're like, okay, who do we trust? Who is good? If our, is everybody good? Everybody bad? Where's Earth? How do we do this together? Uh-huh. So yeah. yeah. The original Cloverfield, if you remember, was kind of a handheld home movie type sci-fi monster movie. Uh-huh. 10 Cloverfield Lane was really a standalone film, but in the same universe. Okay. And that's kind of what happens here, too. It's really like a standalone in its own universe. So okay. it's the third installment, though, in the Cloverfield franchise. Okay. So let's just start with like, wow, this movie, I mean, I wouldn't say I liked it, uh, but I'd say I had fun watching it. Yes, right? exactly. It was it was fun. And Rachel. Yeah. You were you were even writing down lines for this movie. I was. <laughs> we had a good time. And one of them was, anyway. Anyway. Normal life is hanging by a thread. Anyway. Normal life just, just hanging, hanging by, by a thread. thread. What another, are you up to? Another one, and I went back and watched to make sure I got the quote right, is, to clarify, you believe their efforts to solve the energy crisis might unleash demons? Just, just to make sure. Let me take what you just said and said it again, in case everyone who's watching missed but, it. But just that. Even like, hey, let's just really hit it. Yeah. Make sure everyone understands. And so Rachel had some great reactions. And thanks mm. to cell phone technology and post-production editing... Um, here are some of those great reactions. This is not a productive use of time. They very accurately showed us that the world's issues are our cruise issues. By having a German astronaut and a Russian astronaut fighting. To clarify, I know you just said all of this. Uh, you know what? If, if I would. This is back off of cell phone recording. Now yeah. we're back podcast. It's real life. In case you can't tell by the IRL drastically different sounds <laughs> but no I, I i'd do it again so i know the big question you have is I have a like, lot of big questions why like why did the movie turn out like this uh-huh. the plot the writing there were some jarring editing moments like right after that first scene it abruptly just goes to black and then the whole title sequence is kind of choppy and strange and in my opinion it just really didn't match the rest of the movie it takes place over like two years just that the title just sequence, the title sequence. Yeah. yeah and it's i don't know it just it really removed me because the first scene in the movie is on earth mm-hmm. and then it's like boom you're on a spaceship and you don't know any of these characters yeah and it looks like the intro to like an old sci-fi series or something yeah. you know which could be kind of cool it just didn't match the movie though yeah if like the I don't know. It I just remember just I was looking at it and I you could hear the music and it seemed like someone was accidentally playing a music track over where it was supposed to be just yeah. like a movie. And then there were lots of just crazy weird things that seemed to be in there for shock value like the woman materializing in the wall, uh-huh. a guy who dies and worms crawl out of him. Do you have an answer to why there were worms on the ship to begin with? No, I don't have an answer to there that. There were just there you, there was just a, an aquarium <laughs> full of worms. Big worms. Uh, and we had, we thought there were snakes at first. Yeah. And then we saw there's like this 3D printer that printed a bagel, but it was right after we saw the worms that we thought were snakes. Snaggles. <laughs> so we were like, yeah, they're obviously using them as food. That's a snaggle. Snake bagels. <laughs> and may- maybe they still were. Maybe those worm who, bagels. Who knows? But then there was the the phantom arm too. It was just like a chopped off arm <laughs> that was, I don't know, controlled from another dimension and was like crawling through the highway highway hallway 
or sentient of its own accord. It it was unclear. Yeah. So a lot of strange things. So uh-huh. let let's let's dig into Please. all of this here. So here's what I want to go over. I want to go over the spec script and really how this got started, the okay. journey of that script, the crazy ride and timeline of the production of this movie. Uh-huh. But I want to start and this is the part you know about with the groundbreaking marketing and release of the movie. Oh, yeah. So the big buzz around this movie really had to do with the fact that its release came out of seemingly nowhere. It was it was I was so excited when I saw the ad. I was like, "What the yeah. fuck?" So, if you remember the movie came out with no advance warning until boom, the day it came out, an ad in the Super Bowl said it would be available on Netflix right after the game. The day it came out on Netflix, it yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, I remember you calling me into the other room and started telling me about it. Um, were you even ever a fan of the Cloverfield movies? Um, I I liked the first one again yeah. because of what because it was so different more than anything. Because I'm not usually yeah, because it's into, like that handheld. Yeah, I'm not usually into the monster thrillers, but that one was one that I always was interested in. I didn't see the second one. So the effect of that ad campaign did it get you excited to see Cloverfield Paradox? It did. It did. I was super excited, despite not not previously <laughs> being a Cloverfield like fan. So first, a lot of what I'm going to draw from at the beginning here is from a Facebook Live Q and A with producer J.J. Abrams, and you probably know him from everything from Alias to Lost to the original Cloverfield to Star Trek to Star Wars and so much more. He's been involved in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, this Q and A, which you should really check out, has the director of the film. Uh, Julius Ona, and we'll have a link to the Q&A in the show notes. So the director said that they were keeping the release a secret, even from some of the people close to them in their lives. Oh, J.J. Abrams said this idea came out of a conversation with Paramount, which Paramount ended up putting together this movie, um, about the most fun way to release the movie. He said they had a secret meeting with Netflix, and then six to eight weeks later, they were doing it. Wow. That... that does seem like a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, boom. And I, I don't remember the specifics, but the original Cloverfield mo- movie had a lot of um, that kind of like alternate reality game uh, stuff where they had like websites for fake companies and stuff like that to try and bill the release of the first one. Okay. But J.J. Abrams, um, I'm sorry, actor Roger Davies, who was in the film, said that he and actor David Oyello didn't find out about the release until they got a call the day of the Super Bowl. Oh, my goodness. So they didn't know until Super Bowl Sunday, when it was airing, right before it aired, that the movie was coming out that day. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, let that sink in. Movies usually have very planned, very coordinated releases, press events, and then the actors find out as they're getting ready for Super Bowl. Um... There's going to be an ad that you might want to know about. <laughs> and Oyelo says he didn't even find out the title of the movie until that call. Wow. Yeah. And so if you remember, Oyelo played Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. And he's also in the upcoming movie Gringo. Okay. Who was he Who was he in this movie? Was he the captain? Yes. Okay. Um, and Oyelo said he has never done a movie in his career, though. That within 24 hours, pretty much everyone he knew had seen it. Wow. And he thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But you get the feeling through all this that kind of all this was last minute, right? Uh-huh. So there is a long but really interesting story with this movie. Can't wait. So first of all, it did not start off as a Cloverfield movie at all. <laughs> so it started with a script okay. by Oren Uziel um, called God Particle. 
Now, a publication called Collider has a great article about this, and it really gets into, you know, God Particle got picked up by um, Bad Robot Productions, which is J.J. Abrams' company, and Paramount. So in an interview with Collider, the writer of God Particle said, I don't know exactly when it became a Cloverfield movie, but I suspect in this current market where it's just harder and harder to market an original movie of any kind, a science fiction movie in particular, but I think everyone just knew that if it fits and if it does into that Cloverfield world, it should and it could only help. Hmm. And J.J. Abrams explained in a Q&A that Bad Robot, his production company, got the script and started trying to think of ways that it could fit into the Cloverfield universe, but they still were thinking about how it could all fit in when the movie started shooting. Hmm. So the actors even seems like they didn't know a lot about how the movie would turn out until it was out. Davies even said, the actor, that he was only given his scenes. And Oyelo says he was shocked at things in the movie when he watched it. So he obviously (laughs) didn't know how it was all going to come together. Wow. Which is, yeah, just crazy. So God Particle versus the Cloverfield Paradox, though. So. Um, Uziel wrote this as a spec script and it ended up getting picked up. I think he wrote it. He wrote it. He also did the Netflix show Shimmer Lake. I I think he's even the director on that. So okay. I haven't seen it, but it's out there. And he wrote this after Shimmer Lake and then it ended up getting picked up in 2012. Wow. Wasn't produced until... Tw- I'll get into the timeline in a bit. Okay. So anyway, this script though, I read God, God Particle, the script. Okay. And so the first thing I want to say is I found it on Reddit, so I can't 100% say it's the correct version, but it sure looks like it and matches other accounts of the screenplay. Okay. So, okay. Anyway, um, the bones of the first script stayed in the movie. There was still a particle accelerator um, what that activates, and then the earth is gone. And then afterwards, it's like a game of Clue. Who do okay. you trust? Was yeah. it Mr. Scientist Mr. on the Scientist. X deck with the soldering iron? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the soldering iron though in the movie? Like, it's it was constantly in there. That guy was constant. The character was constantly soldering things. Oh, he was. It was it was his autocock. Oh, cock, cock. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Autocock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in this script, though, um, unlike the movie, they meet up with another spacecraft full of Europeans, which they're apparently at war with, and one by one, people start being killed. By things like knives and cyanide, not like crazy... Worms in your body. Yeah, worms and walking sentient hands and arms and things like that. But to be fair, the sentient arm didn't, didn't kill, kill anyone. anyone. But y- you know what I mean? There's this kind of... The the movie had kind of this Final Destination feel. Yeah. Where <laughs> there are these alternate yeah. universes or parallel universes and they're trying to correct each other because man interfered. Yeah, and it was kind of like how many different creative ways can we start killing off our crew <laughs> that just don't make a ton of sense. Exactly. Yeah. But with this one it was all humans killing humans and that kind of thing. I got to be I got to be honest. I feel like it it wasn't t- it could have been tied together a little better, but the but the worms and all of the crazy stuff was more entertaining than just like I stabbed him. Although there was one great scene that I really liked in the screenplay mm-hmm. where one of the characters had gone blind when the p- particle accelerator went off. Okay. And there's a scene where he walks in um, and one of the crew members is being murdered by a guy in a mask, but he doesn't realize it because he's blind. And so he's in the room as this guy's getting murdered. And then he finally realizes it. And it's 
a whole scene where the blind guy is running from the killer. Boo! And he's like, he ends up hiding in a dark room and the killer steps on some glass and he knows where he is. And then you find out that this gun that's been missing the whole time, the blind guy has it and he shoots the masked killer. Gracious. So that scene was really entertaining to read. Yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, kind of like the um, the end of the Scooby-Doo taking off of the mask, <laughs> like being like, who is it? And if it wasn't for you meddling blind people with canes. Oh, I just love how much you were wiggling just then. <laughs> I got really excited. It was a cool scene. But that wasn't in the movie. Uh-huh. So th- the screenplay, though, did a, even though it didn't have those kind of jarring things, I thought uh-huh. it was pretty good. Also... So, yeah, there's never a guy with worms who dies. There's no phantom arm. There's no character who materializes in the wall at all in the script. The screenplay also starts in space and ends in space with no Earth scenes whatsoever. Okay. I mean, they barely earthed it anyway. Well, they had, like, Michael, the husband, and the whole backstory with her. That's not in the movie at all. Oh, oh, yeah. And the little girl who nothing really happens with. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, Hamilton... One of the main characters, if you uh-huh. remember, like her family, her, their story is a huge part of it. Like yeah. her husband's back on Earth. She goes up. Her children are dead. Yeah. Um. So th- that's in there a little bit. Uh, the script really very briefly mentions that her family is dead. Okay. Like, but that's it. They just happen to be dead. Yeah. But they don't explain why. And it's just in one conversation, like one of the characters realizes like, oh, you have that picture of your family because they're dead and you're remembering them, which is why you went on this mission. Ah. So, I mean, it's similar in that way, but you never see the husband as a character. Yeah. Um, And then the ending scene is similar to the one in the real movie, but there are just so many differences throughout the movie that. I mean, although they're somewhat similar, like even the purpose for what they're doing is different. Whereas like in the movie, they're trying to save the ship and do all Mm -hmm. these things. And in the screenplay, it was they decided pretty much this technology man shouldn't have it. Um, Which is that is different because she pretty much does the opposite in the movie where she like writes down the information and sends it to the alternate universe. Um, but I do have one important question. Yeah. In the screenplay, did anyone get butt sucked into space? Um, I think <laughs> so. That happens in the movie. Uh huh. Potentially, but there's nothing that said cue getting butt sucked into space. So, and what what butt but, sucked into space means, if you haven't seen it, is at the very end there's like a confrontation scene yeah. and they're fighting, and it's between two women and so like our protagonist kind of throws something at the window which cracks which is like i feel like the window should be thicker but whatever the window cracks and it starts to suck um things from the room in but she's already holding on to something that's like Mm -hmm. stuck to the floor so the other woman gets sucked into the window and then stops the flow of air or i guess not the flow of air because it's space the vacuum um with her butt and then it just it it still continues to pull and ends up breaking the window and she gets completely sucked into space. But yeah, so that's a really painful, deadly space. Just, anima is what <sighs> happens. Um, as far as the rest of the script goes, <laughs> very little dialogue, if any remained from the original script. I didn't recognize <laughs> like any of the lines. There was this whole thing with one of the characters making this joke about eating all the sausage 
that like <laughs> carried through the whole script <laughs> like from beginning to end i'm like i don't ever remember sausage being mentioned damn but they cut out my sausage <laughs> joke and then one of the characters was also like deeply religious so there was this whole is this what humans g- get for interfering in god's plan thing that uh, went hence the name god, god particle. particle the script mentions a few times the higgs boson particle uh-huh and if you remember, they discovered this. I believe it was even called the God Particle originally. Okay. I'm not going to get into the science of all of that, but the script definitely plays off of all that. Got so, kind of interesting. So, two levels of God Particle. Yes, Are there, like, exactly. Science like and the religion, science and, and then the other God level. Got it. So, what this movie battled against, though? So, out of the screenplay now, Paramount in Surge, which was Paramount's low-budget arm, was originally developing the movie. Okay. But then, in, so remember, it got picked up in 2012. Yes. Insurge folded in 2015. Oh. Yeah. And Insurge was really created out of the massive success of that movie, Paranormal Activity. Yeah. Where I think it, the budget for that movie was ridiculously low, like $15,000. Holy. And it made millions. Hold on. Let, do you know for sure? Rachel, you want to look that up real quick? I'm looking that shit up. I want to know. Holy crap. So uh, what was the actual budget and what did it earn? Okay, so the budget was $15,000, and it earned $193 million. <laughs> exactly, and if you remember, there oh were all those God. ads that were like um, night vision in the movie theaters for that. Wow, yeah. So we Paramount was like, we got to, oh, we should. That's, That's a good idea. Yeah. If you guys want to see that, let us know. Yeah. Um, Hear that. I guess you hear a podcast, you don't see it. I don't know, but you can see yourself pressing play. There you go. So you could see why Paramount would want to start a, like a, a a division that focuses on small budget films that can yield lots of money. Yeah. So, um, Variety reported the original budget for the movie was supposed to be between five and ten million when it was under Insurge, okay. but by the end, Deadline was reporting that the final budget was around forty five million dollars for the film. The final budget, like. When the movie was done. Yes. Okay. Got up to $45 million wow. from something that was originally. So that just got me thinking like just. So normally I would say that it would help a movie to get a bigger budget. But it also makes me think that this movie was designed to be smaller. Originally designed not to be attached to Cloverfield at all. Even though they might have had those intentions of turning it into a Cloverfield movie. The yeah. original spec script writer did not write a Cloverfield movie. Yeah. And then I feel like it just missed that jump from going from something smaller to something bigger and part of the Cloverfield franchise. Yeah, like there was another step in there and it just didn't take it and jumped and then kind of suffered for that. Yeah, I, I just, I think there was too much, it, it would seem like there was too much work going on to continually alter it, all in the intentions of making it better. Yeah. But the the movie just kind of felt disjointed to me. Yeah. And the thing was is that Although the writing wasn't perfect and the story was okay, like the acting was decent, the shots were pretty good. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like one of those horrible B-rate movies that you watch and you're like, why was this ever made? This is terrible on all fronts. And yeah. although it's kind of entertaining because it's bad, this is just a bad movie. Yeah, this was like you could tell that there were talented people involved. Yes, but it just didn't work. Just didn't translate the. I don't know if you talk about this at all, but the big issue I had as well is the fact uh-huh. that we have this giant spaceship. Yeah. And what, seven people on it? Something like that. It, I mean, it could have fit. But 
if it's a risky space mission that they think might fail, you don't want to load it through a full of people. I mean, maybe not like hundreds of people, but maybe 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, to me though, it really seemed like something that was up with this film. And so here's the timeline though. Paramount picks up the script, like I said, in 2012. Okay. And then he- here's the rest of the timeline from different variety articles. Okay. Shooting started in June of 2016. It was scheduled for release in February of 2017. Then it gets rescheduled to October of 2017. Okay. Then it gets rescheduled again to April 20th of 2018. And then, as we know, it ends up coming out before that in February, right after the Super Bowl in 2018. So do we know why the timeline jumps around like that? Well, as I wrote down here, here's the real paradox in the movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. How the studio was... I don't think we know the specifics of the timeline other than there was a lot going on behind the scenes to try and make this movie good. Okay. Let me precurse this by saying I think the movie overall was a win for Netflix, was a win for Paramount, was overall a win on the financial terms. But leading up to the release, The Hollywood Reporter wrote that sources say the movie needed some work and while Abrams expressed an intent to get down to business in post-production, it was too little too late. The Hollywood Reporter also writes that Paramount and Abrams were worried the film was going to flop, that's my word, in the theaters. And then they made a $50 million deal to put the film on Netflix. And that means the movie immediately turned a profit for the studio. And Netflix had a movie to stream that's part of a recognizable franchise. Okay. So what I draw from that, at least, is that it really seems like they were working to try and make this movie better. And if you kind of view it as it was this real living project through the whole time where they were shooting and they were still trying to shoot you know to work it into the Cloverfield universe yeah and then you also have actors who didn't even know what their scenes looked like in the context of the film they didn't even know the title of the film you just think that they were kind of making this as they went and then the budget balloons and all of these different things and then they come out with they see this what they have so far or at least that version that cut of the movie yeah and they're still not quite happy with it but it this is just pure speculation but it really just seems like at that point if you're making a business decision you don't want to throw any more money at the movie yeah you know you want to say okay let's get this out and let's let's see what we can do and so they land this netflix deal super bowl is coming up and boom they pull off this crazy marketing. So Netflix then does a very short promotion marketing it during the Super Bowl and gets a ton of eyeballs and attention. Millions of people logged on and watched this movie. So Netflix stats aren't as readily available at the box o- as like box office numbers. Yeah. But a bunch of articles state that Nielsen um, estimated is that the film made five million or had five million viewers in its first week. Wow. Um, and if the goal is to entertain, I think it accomplished that goal. Yeah. If its goal is to make money, it did that. Yep. If its goal is to promote Netflix, it did that. Yep. And if its goal is to defy modern marketing strategies for films, it also did that. Yeah. So viewers and critics can judge all they want, but it kind of worked out for the most part. Yeah. And I I do feel like, and we'll we'll get into this with the next one too, with some of the stuff I found, but Netflix is really changing the way that films are marketed and released. Hmm. At least not... I mean, maybe not. They're not changing it from a Hollywood perspective altogether, but they're creating this new little like where you can pull off a stunt like that. And and the thing is, yeah, millions of people watched it and were into it. Yeah. And if you think about like I read a few articles that were sort of around the idea that filmmakers are using the phrase, 
you know, we made it for the fans, not the critics as a cop out for making bad movies. <laughs> but I'm, I don't know, with something like that again, no, it, is it, is it award winning? I don't think so. Is it something no. that, <laughs> yeah, is it something that I'm going to play weekly? Is it something that I want to own on DVD? No, but it's not intended for that and if you look at netflix overall what they're trying to accomplish with their platform yeah it's exactly what they want and the barrier of entry is so low like to go see a movie you have to find somebody to go with yeah you all go well no you don't have to you can go go, you can you know what if you want to go see a movie and no (laughs) one wants to go with you go i've done that plenty of times me too be a strong independent man or woman or both or whatever (laughs) just go Embrace it. But you have to make plans, go out, pay for a ticket. You're yeah. often going to buy popcorn or something. like. So you look at the financial cost, you look at the time commitment, and it's so much more than sitting down on your couch, opening Netflix and going, oh, this is on today. Well, and especially considering today. the fact that most people, yeah, like we'll go to the movies once, twice a month, depending. Yeah. Um, but we'll watch Netflix almost every day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if things are releasing on Netflix like that you you have access to an audience that it's not like oh we have to try and convince people to go to the movies exactly it's you've already got those people there yeah and it makes me think of the, there's got to be a different strategy too because you're not basing a success of something solely off of box office numbers you're basing it off of subscriptions and how many people how you p- just promote your brand it's yeah. i don't know it's all just really interesting oh yeah that's all i have on the cloverfield movie oh okay um so i've got fact or fiction yes my favorite yes so only two this time but okay. they're cool all right fact or fiction cloverfield takes place after the cloverfield paradox so like the first cloverfield movie the first cloverfield takes place after cloverfield paradox uh, i'm gonna say after as in like cloverfield paradox time wise yeah like, like cloverfield time paradox in the universe causes the cloverfield movie yes i will say that so that's a confusing answer too because <laughs> so actual time wise okay no what you're saying might be true i'll get it so okay my question was Cloverfield takes place after Cloverfield Paradox when you're looking at time in the Cloverfield u- universe. That is fiction because although the, uh, this gets tricky because of like time travel and all that. Yep. But if you look at the actual dates, the home footage that's in the first Cloverfield movie, um, the kind of fan community agrees that it's supposed to be filmed in 2008 or 2009. Okay. And the alternate reality materials that tie into the Cloverfield Paradox place the movie in 2028. Okay. But then you take into account possible time travel yeah, or, did, you know, going through some sort of space time something. And it went back in back, time and yeah. caused things to happen in 2008. Yeah. But if you actually look at the years they're supposed to happen in the universe, Cloverfield Paradox takes place 20 years, roughly, after the original Cloverfield. Okay. Um, I also saw, I think it was in that Facebook Q&A, he didn't say... He did not answer it, sadly, but they asked J.J. Abrams whether there would be a movie that kind of ties these all together. Uh, yeah. he, he said he really likes these kind of standalone, the idea that they exist in the same universe, but they're not. He, he said he views it kind of like a theme park, like each of them is a ride, but they're all part of the theme park, but they're all independent. different parts of the same. Exactly. Okay. So they asked him, though, if there would ever be one cohesive movie, and he didn't rule it out, but he, he did not have a direct answer got it okay the next one um john krasinski of the office show fame 
okay. was going to be in this movie, but decided not to to be in Jack Ryan. Fact. It is a fact. Multiple articles state that he was in talks for a role, but decided not to do that and did the Jack Ryan movie instead, which if you remember is part of the Tom Clancy book series. Jack Ryan's one of his characters that goes kind of through all this. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Hit me with it. This is my biggest, my biggest issue with this movie that I need an answer to is the whole concept of the particle accelerator thing is that it's going to create clean energy. Energy. That yeah. is renewable. The dream, right? Why didn't they use, like, why was it like, okay, we're out of gas, so yeah. let's build a giant space station, send it to the sky, and use a particle accelerator that may or may not let demons into the world as opposed to, like, solar? <laughs> That's a great question. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with... So in the spec script, uh-huh. the they find out... It wasn't the original purpose of it, but they find out that the actual purpose of the particle accelerator was to create a weapon of mass destruction to help win the war. The war. Okay. Like the war that's going on on Earth. That, I, I think, helps explain it in that sense, was you're like, oh, there was an ulterior motive the whole time, and it really wasn't about... Yeah, but they were just touting it as, like, an energy thing. Yeah, and I got to go back and look at the spec script. I'm not even 100% sure that they said that it was an energy thing there, if it was just some sort of scientific... Anyway. Yeah. Um, But to go back to what you were saying, I, I think it was more just like, if you look at the state, and this is just my own opinion, if you look at the state of the Earth at that time... There's war, there are lots of things going on, and like you look at solar energy, and although it's great, is it really feasible to implement solar energy worldwide? Because... But it's, it's more feasible to build a giant spaceship and let demons into the world? But there are already spaceships that get launched. We have an international space station. But so there's already solar fields. Yes, but expanding it to the level, like, if you look at, like, an actual cost, it probably costs less to put that spaceship up there and to do that. And then you have one solution that creates unlimited energy forever for the world. I think that was the idea, is that if somebody said, we've got this idea that we have to do one time and the Earth will never run out of energy, anybody... Or we have to do a massive solar field operation. Like, it can't get done now, and that technology exists. Let's just agree as a, and, a world And right I don't now. know the science behind it, by the way, in the sense of how much solar would actually be able to take care of the entire energy infrastructure of the world. Yeah, So, but let's just agree as a world, as a country, as a group of podcasters right now. Let's agree as a world right now. Okay. That if we ever get in the situation where we all run out of power and it's a mass like whatever, that shooting a space station into the sky <laughs> and using a particle accelerator that may open a second dimension to demons is like last choice. Honestly, I'd so rather live So if you like ever hear a newscaster say, to clarify, you believe their efforts to solve the energy crisis might unleash demons? Red flag. Yeah, no. Red flag. Just don't do it. Because if there is a risk <laughs> of demons, and that's that's the thing is, I mean, if you guys see saw this or any of the Cloverfields, they're not like little piddly demons coming to fuck with you. They're like giant dinosaur demons that are destroying cities. <laughs> and we're just like, but then we can use our iPads. Like, no. <laughs> I would rather just not have power. And try and figure out solar and wind. And do you know how long we didn't have power? We could do it again. We don't need it's demons. It's better than space demons. It's literally like, yeah, I would rather just, 
I would rather just go back to colonial times than have space demons. There you go. We'll take we'll take a break and when we come back, we've got some fake facts. Fake facts. Okay, Rachel, fake facts. You got a fake fact for me? I have a fake fact for you. Lay it on me. Okay, so most people who watch Netflix, I don't know if you know this, listen with the sound off. That's that's not true. No, definitely. <laughs> fake fact. What about you? A fake fact. In an alternate ending to this movie, the Cloverfield monster ends up riding a giant treadmill that powers the earth forever. Oh, that would have actually solved a lot of problems. He is the he is the energy. <laughs> yeah, see? It did bring unlimited energy. You know what? True fact. A- and a real fit monster. JJ Abrams, I hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah, we've got the some next great movie. ideas for you. <laughs> if you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Yep, and email us at we look shit up at gmail.com and send us your fake facts. And you can find us on social media. Our account is we look shit up pretty much everywhere you can think of. Yep, we're there. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, come on in next time. We're going to talk about Bright. And then if you go to the show notes, check out the footnotes. You'll see where we got all of our information. This is We Look Shit Up. Okay, thanks. Bye. See you. See you. Everybody's messing around.